0: Uh, we're back. We're back. There's no Drew. I'm Roth. Where's Drew, Roth? He's on vacation. Ah, That was my attempt at uh, doing both halves of the Drew and Dave intro. Didn't, didn't work as well as, uh, as I'd hoped it would. But Drew is on vacation, and I can't do the podcast by myself. I can barely do it with anyone else. Uh, so I have with me today uh, two of my fellow Defector teammates, Kelsey McKinney, who uh, is a longtime recurring guest of ours and also the host of the hit podcast Normal Gossip, and Albert Bernico, who's been on roughly as many times and whose rural Maryland homestead is currently being besieged by carpenter bees. How are you two? Hello, friends. Hey, Albert. How's it going?
1: Hello, David Ross.
0: It was harder to do a Drew voice. You have to really activate your diaphragm in a way that I'm not comfortable doing. <laughs> like I had, to, I had to get deep in there. And then you also have to be willing to scronk. And I, I wasn't able to do that. Sorry, uh, you have to
1: be willing to do what?
0: Skronk. It's a jazz term. It means okay. when you when you um when you fuck up blowing into a trumpet and it sounds kind of like Drew saying my name. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm happy to have you all here um, again. Not just because it would be strange for me to talk for 50 straight minutes without it, but um. You all are, are two of my favorite writers on the website. Also, um, right there with me in the tier of, I guess what you would call, ultra-prolific bloggers, just constantly getting up on the site, new prose, <laughs> uh, new bylines, pretty much hourly. I thought maybe later we could talk to young writers about how uh, they could write as effectively and regularly as, as we three do. Maybe we'll oh. put that at the very end of the show, and if we run out of time and we don't get to it, uh, too bad. Then everybody could just approach <laughs> us. <laughs> They could just approach us uh, for, for help um, later on. Um, <laughs> so before before uh, we actually get to the actual, I'm going to make it a little bit weirder just for a moment. Um, oh, God. I want to, no, no, I mean, that's in the sense of, yeah, I mean, like a little bit, but it's all relative at this point. So I, uh, as, as you both know, because you work with me, uh, I was like pretty miserable in January and February, and I guess also uh, mostly in March. I wasn't crushing it in December either, if I'm being honest, but like all through that period, I had a really hard time, uh, not just like writing, but answering email and like responding to texts and sort of doing any of the stuff I was supposed to do beyond, you know, like making dinner every night. And that's the thing that happens to me. And I've talked about it on here, and uh, I know that uh, neither of you can relate to it, but it's, um, you know, I feel like it's something that I, I should be open about. I'm still not really anywhere near having an answer on, on how to get out of it, but like in terms of from moment to moment. But I had this faith during that sort of last winter period of, like, short, shitty days and nothing but bad news every day that eventually I would start to feel better just because I'm a simpleton, more or less, that as soon as the days started getting longer and, like, once they turned baseball back on, like, I kind of knew that eventually I would be able to write and function again. Uh, And I think some of that is just, you know, That, like, sunshine makes me happier than 11 straight days of, you know, wintry mix and gray skies (laughs) and all that. But the strange part is that it actually worked. I am feeling a little bit better. Like, I'm still pretty wrung out and all the other shit that, you know, whatever is, like, strongly implied in every moment that I'm on this podcast. But I'm also (laughs) feeling better. Uh, How are you all feeling? And do you give baseball any credit for your emotional state? at this point, six games into the season. Uh, Albert, you can go first. Yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I am a total just bird when it comes to that. You know, like the sun comes out and baseball starts and I'm instantly 200 times happier than I was the day before.
0: It's kind of embarrassing, right? Like, Yeah, it is embarrassing, good.
2: especially given like baseball and how much it sucks. I know. That was... <laughs> That's I'm, I was getting to that,
0: but that's the part of it that's so weird. It's like just getting to write two blogs about two depressing NL Central teams that I care not a little bit about, <laughs> like, and will never care about. I mean, I have, like, a friend who's a Pirates fan, a couple of friends who are Pirates fans. I don't oh, think I have anybody in real life that is, like, a Reds fan that I'm friendly with. And yet at the same time, like, writing about that big fucking Yutz Reds owner in his, like, casino greeter outfit, like... I don't know. Like, I'd like to think that I have a higher order of of brain function than that. But as soon as it's like guys in a hat chasing a ball around, I'm like, you know what? Actually, maybe maybe we're going to make it after all.
2: Which is, yeah, I mean, I mean, I on principle, I should be disgusted by all of it. But yeah, I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Socked a huge dinger the other day. And my uh, my general well-being was like, yeah, just exponentially better the very moment he hit it.
0: Yeah. Which is, I guess also it helps that I was in the like, elf needs food badly, like blinking gauntlet warning mental stage before (laughs) all this shit started. (laughs) So now, uh, you know, like, whatever, this is uh, the normalization process feels like, you know, much more dramatic uh, than it might otherwise be. Kelsey, how are you holding up? This doesn't um, have to be about baseball. I just well, wanted to do a buddy check in with two people I care about.
1: You know, I do think it's uh, really rude to brag about being able to make dinner every single night when in an emotionally down state. <laughs> that to me um, is extremely offensive and hurtful since I have lost the ability to cook entirely during the winter seasons. So it's very sad. Um, it's except hard to for. Get i inspired
0: did. inspired to. Yeah. You know, like just looking in your fridge and there's like half a turnip, some parsley, and you're like, let's put this together, let's make this happen. Like,
1: I did actually to like brag on Albert a little bit. Albert wrote a blog about how to make what what was the blog titled? The Chef green Factory sauce. last week about green sauce.
0: It was like uh, it yeah. was a classic Albert headline. It was like, let's make some let's damn make green some, sauce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But Something I read I it and it was like the week before baseball started or maybe like right before. And I was like my little like brain tingled and I was like, I'm going to fucking do it. I'm going to get the material and I'm going to make this green sauce and I'm going to have a stupid fish and I'm going to feel better. And it worked. So that's great. Um, things are looking up. Um, but I do think I agree with you. I like did have a complete, um, breakdown right after we did the like pouch scenario. Have you been over the pouch on the podcast at all? David? Uh,
0: we have not talked about the pouch, but we should, well, let's talk about the pouch. This is an internal defector uh, team business. I don't like the phrase. I've been open <laughs> about the fact that I don't like saying, and we're going to say pouch at least a half dozen more times just to get through explaining what
2: this is. Where do you even begin explaining what the pouch is?
0: I mean,
1: well, I think you have to start with the course like Cold Hard Lockbox, do you right, not?
2: Right. <laughs>
0: TM, which is, uh, that's what happens when our editor-in-chief uh, lets everybody get predictions in on something. The lockbox or bets. Or bets on, you know, like, um who is going to win the sports game or, you know, things of that nature. The lockbox has a tendency of snapping shut on the last couple of people trying to get uh, guesses in. It's not binding, as far as I can tell. I don't know mm-hmm. that anybody but Drew has ever paid out, like, more than a $1 bet on it. But unfortunately, because that is, uh, that is copyrighted by... Uh, editor-in-chief Tom Lay, when people wanted to bet on when the baseball season would start, they had to come up with a version of the uh, Coors Light Cold Hard lockbox that was copyright compliant and did not infringe on Tom's intellectual property, Yeah, which is how we wound up with something that Laura Laura Wagner named. And it's disgusting. It was like the warm (laughs) something pouch. Didn't care for it.
1: It's hard to know. But anyway, Laura, at some point, was like, we're going to do... Bets essentially everyone bet on when the baseball season will actually start when like people will return to the mound and the because these pouches and boxes are prone to snapping shut very quickly people were just guessing as fast as possible. And our VP of Business Jasper Wing bet that like there was going to be no baseball this season. Yeah, that like it just wasn't coming back. And like two days after that, I had a full breakdown where I was like, "Oh my god, what am I going to fucking do all summer? Like, yeah. how? <laughs> what is my brain going to do? Because I I always forget this, but because I like I score in a book when I watch, and so you can't when I watch baseball games, and so you can't w- look at your phone. Because if you're looking at your phone, you can't do the scorebook, really. Right. And so it's like the only thing that keeps me from looking at my phone for four hours at a time is when baseball season is happening. And so that is like key to my mental health. Should I find some other way to not look at my phone during the off season? Probably. Have I? No. <laughs> but like, <laughs> what,
0: what would that even be? Like Dr. Conrad Murray puts you under like Michael Jackson for a little while and you wake Ugh, up in 12 great. hours. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does not... it. I had a a harder time with that, too. And Jasper was just being, you know, he's got a business brain. It's like in Mm -hmm. uh, The Price is Right where you bid $1, you know. Like, it's nobody had selected (laughs) there will be no baseball season. So, that's the spot where you get in where you fit in. It's just, yeah, I, I had a hard time looking at that and thinking about it. And, I mean, it was, I know how these things go. Like, all of us at this point have been through union negotiations of our own. I mean, they're very much lower stakes, but at different websites. And, like... You always have to do the fucking dance. Like, it has to go until midnight. You know, there have to be, like, a lot of back-and-forth, like, palaver sessions where everybody acts really mad. And, like, maybe they are really mad, but it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. And I knew that this was following that trajectory. And I also knew that this was going to be the sort of thing, you know, as with the contract that we negotiated at Vice. When you're starting off, like, 20 years in arrears on labor gains, like, this wasn't going to be the one collective bargaining agreement to unite and fix every thing that is broken and needs to be joined in the sport and yet like i kind of wasn't gonna bet against jasper for like a month and a half there it just didn't seem like anything was moving you know
1: yeah it was a scary time i'm glad that that's in our past that we've all survived um and moved into a world where we can just watch a bunch of you know dinguses try to figure out how to use this new technology to talk to each other through their caps
0: that part of it is especially delightful too like that's i think to albert's to return to albert's point that like as great as it is uh the quality of play has not been great a lot of new <laughs> technology that no one knows how to use yet do you have any thoughts on the uh on the thing that catchers use to talk to pitchers when it works
2: uh i mean it's a great idea in principle um but it's also major league baseball so uh yeah, I'm assuming by the end of the season, they'll be like sending passenger pigeons out to the mound to deliver the the call.
0: Yeah, I think that the, the one bit of hope that I have for those innovations for that one and also for the one where they make the umpire get on the mic and announce the results of mm-hmm. a replay uh, review to the crowd that in... Both those instances, there's a possibility that if the fans are annoying enough, it, it doesn't work or that like that you get a huge pop when the replay review is announced like NFL style. And that also, like I think we were talking about this at work, the idea of like if it's so loud that you can't use the little pitch com and they have to go to the hand signals like mm-hmm. uh, whatever, like forcing a quarterback to audible at the line. Like that would actually be kind of a fun innovation, like all of us have spent time on various different streams complaining about the lack of new shit in baseball, so like that's at least like a sort of a new energy. The season doesn't quite feel right to me yet,
2: though what do the you know? um the umpires well, I think, talking yeah. into the microphone thing is really uncanny, um yes. <laughs> Well, I don't like to
0: think of those guys as having voices. Like, when they show up on audio things, like in the Terry (laughs) Collins, like, saying whatever, putting my ass in the jackpot, sort of like that. (laughs) Like, they always have, like, way readier, higher voices. Or they have just, like, weird old, like, Bowery Boys palooka accents that I didn't think Americans still had. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I mean, they're, like, big blue monoliths. They shouldn't talk.
0: Right, like, they should sound like the, like the, um... The adult figure in Muppet Babies, or whatever. I guess it's like a voice issuing from above.
1: Just one sound for strikes, and that's it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) right. Well, also the fact that the umpires of my youth, like, the, you know, and this is sort of a lost art, although I don't think anyone really misses it. The guys with the really, like, Rococo strike and ball calls, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. the only words that you would ever hear them say, like, you knew that they were saying strike or ball, and yet they were just sounds they were just like free jazz vocalizations so they like and you're like that's... And barks. yeah so like yes. there's a part of me that thinks they can't talk <laughs> that like <laughs> this is like actually that that's just what they sound like when they try to say anything obviously we're gonna we're gonna learn different to answer your question kelsey about why the season doesn't feel right i think it's that uh there's an element of between the short and spring training and the sort of like the rushed process of getting everything together with all of these new sort of rules and such. And then beyond that, the like, I guess the the sort of changing shape of the game and realizing that like pitchers aren't thrown more than five innings, you know, the fact that the Mets, they were discussing having a bullpen game in their second game of the year. There's still something about, I guess, like, Watching a game and seeing this many position players pitching and all of this other shit, like, it just, uh, it, I'm sort of, like, having the feeling I had when I was watching uh, House of Gucci, which is, like, which is a movie <laughs> that was so weird that it made me feel like I had forgotten how to watch movies. Like, when we were talking about this yesterday, there have been, like, multiple outfielders pitching in the first six games of the year already. Like, and I guess this is just that I'm old enough that I, this is what baseball is now and it feels off to me. Does that make any sense?
2: Yeah, it does. Uh, I I guess I, j- I have to either hope or dread that eventually I'll get used to the idea that <clears throat> a perfectly decent start for a pitcher now is like four innings. Yeah, like um, four solid
0: 60 pitches gets you to your bulk guy. Like, all right. Yeah, space. I, that's a real thing. I don't like
1: it because it messes up my scorebook, which is not ideal oh. for me. I only have so many spaces for relievers, and the more we use, the more um, chaotic my scorebook becomes, which is not ideal. Um, But I do like it because I think that relief pitchers have um, much bigger personalities, which is exciting to me to see these like doofuses up there with their (laughs) like terrible mustaches, like pacing around the mound six times before they throw. I'm like, this is good. Yes, this is the stuff that I crave.
0: Yeah, there is definitely I think that's the one thing you can say for expanding bullpens is that there's a lot more uh, like sort of guys to know. And, you know, either remember or not, but definitely to sort of like speculate about their inner life in the moment. Like when you see them coming out there and they've just like very intentionally given themselves, like that they're just like styling themselves like Ric Flair in every possible way. And yet they're like the sixth inning guy on the Blue Jays. And you're like, we've got your own little journey that you're on. <laughs> and I think that's neat, even if it is uh, kind of whatever, opaque from the outside so you're trying to change allegiances, right? Because you've moved.
1: Yes. I'm currently in a state of flux where I am learning all of the, um, what I like to yell at the television. That to me is part of the enjoyment of watching sports, but it's very difficult to yell at the television when you don't like know the third base coach's name. So that's a new um, <laughs> a new problem that I'm learning to overcome. But I believe in myself. Soon I will know every member of the Phillies team and be able to yell at them through my screen. And that's exciting. A good future for me, I think.
0: Phillies are a challenge too, because they have, uh, I mean, they they have kind of a lot of ex-Nats, which would help with you. Mm-hmm. And yet also almost all of their players are shaped exactly the same. It's like watching <laughs> like someone playing RBI baseball <laughs> and trying to differentiate who is who.
1: Wait, you mean <laughs> like their body? Like yeah, their bodies? because like, the team's
0: got like <laughs> seven left fielders, a catcher, and then someone's pitching. <laughs>
1: It's, I'm laughing because it's true, but I was just I was just telling Ray the other day that what I like about the Phillies, which he did not like, that I liked about them, is that they all have like really classic swings. Like mm. every single member of the Phillies has like a very beautiful, smooth swing. Like very few of them are ending up on a knee. Very few of them are off balance. And I'm like, this is just such a lovely time for me. And Ray gave me a lot of shit for this because he was like, it's no fun. But I, I think it's very cute. I like that the Phillies all apparently have the same body shape, which seems true, and the same swing. That's, you know, they're just buddies, just some buddies trying to hit homers.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially because the alternative in some ways, which I I mean, I have no problem with it. I like weird baseball. But like, if you look at what the, the Nats, for instance, which Albert, do you even bother to care about them? Or have you just sort of completely cut yourself free from geographic
2: loyalties? I can't help but care about them when I watch them. So my solution has been to watch the Blue Jays instead. Much better. That's a great solution. See, this solution. is like
0: liberated like fandom in that regard like it can be like whatever if you think of it as like an NBA thing there is no reason why you should have to watch the Washington Nationals if they're not going to make a compelling case for it like you got to respect yourself and your time you know yeah
2: (laughs) but they've got I will will tune in to see if Juan Soto happens to be hitting at that exact moment and if he's not then I find another team to watch (laughs) they though are like and there's a bunch of like kind of other
0: janky like sort of like tanking sort of not tanking teams the Nats are not stylistically samey because they like they have like Alcides Escobar plays for them now like Mm -hmm. it's not like a bunch of like stomp and lift like launch angle home run guys like they're taking what they can get on the curb and then decorating the entire apartment with that stuff and so (laughs) there's definitely you know like a couch that has a beaver living in it and they're just like well he's fine like that's our shortstop like (laughs) <laughs> and he's very friendly and he does, and he's a good base runner. And like that, I guess like I haven't really explored the rest of the league yet. I've been kind of like easing in, uh, you know, Mets have had two traumatic losses in the first week. It's a good place <laughs> for me to start, uh, sort of just testing my strength. Uh, but there are, I mean, like watching the Jays seems like it would be about the most fun that you could have watching a baseball game right now.
2: Yeah, they're a blast. You know, they hit a lot of home runs, they give up a lot of home runs, and they generally seem to be having a good time. It's fun.
0: Yeah. A lot of, like, the large sons of prominent baseballers of my youth, which is always a good trait. Um, So, yeah, that's, I think for sure, like, this is the, the mood that I'm trying to, like, carry forward, you know, like, as I continue to rely on baseball to prop up my tenuous mental health is just to uh, do the things that are going to seem fun and not subject myself to, uh, things that are going to make me upset out of some sort of, uh, bizarre loyalty, not just to my team, but like to habits that I've had there. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a difficult thing to sort of try to change on the fly, but like, obviously it's gotten me far enough to the point where like, I'm feeling a lot better than I was three weeks ago. And, and, there's no obvious baseball-related reason to that, um, except the other, for the fact that it wasn't there before.
1: The other thing I think that is reassuring to me in terms of my tenuous mental health relationship with the game of Major League Baseball is that you always have the like emergency lever of go to the game, yes. right? Which is that like if everything is getting really bad, you can get on. I mean, all of our teams are not great enough for the tickets to be expensive, <laughs> so you can just yeah. get on your little like app and get a twenty-dollar ticket and then spend $45 on beer, and you will have evaded a mental health crisis.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Again, if all of this stuff, I guess if we're basically talking about screen avoidance, which it seems like is the, yes. <laughs> the free line to all of this. Yeah, that's baseball is a fun thing that you can do out of doors <laughs> with beautiful. friends or, or alone with just your scorebook, whatever. But yeah, it is a uh, pretty wholly analog in that way. We're going to stop talking about baseball because there's not really any baseball to talk about yet. I'm going to ask one other question and then we're going to take a break. Kelsey, this is uh, specific to you because Uh like when we last spoke, this was like (laughs) December, the live uh, distraction, good times. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think that normal gossip had started yet. It surely was not like a world bestriding colossus of uh, (sighs) podcast success, Um. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about it and what is happening to you um, in terms of becoming uh, everybody's what is receptacle to of me? office go- gossip?
1: Well, I'm very sleepy. That's something that's happening. Um, no, we were recording a like uh, FAQ episode that comes out in like a couple of weeks, and I was trying to walk through like the timing of the podcast, and so I was like, oh, you know, we put out like the pilot on this date. And then we like worked through this and I was like, yeah. And then at the beginning of 2021, we put out the first season of Normal Gossip and my producer was like, no babe, we put out that three months ago. Like it, (laughs) (laughs) no, (laughs) that was like 12 weeks ago. Um so it's been a whirlwind I would say in that I went from being like oh haha what's a podcast how does my microphone work to now I like actually need to learn how podcasts work. So normal gossip if you do not know what it is is a show where we uh tell other people's gossip to you. That's basically it. We anonymize it and I just we talk about gossip the whole time. But the real change in my life that I was telling um Albert about before you got on is we have a hotline where you can call in and like, tell us your gossip. And so the hotline is connected to not to my cell phone, but to like an email address that's on my phone. And so sometimes I'll be like out at a bar and my phone will be going off and I'll look down and it's like, someone has left, um, like seven voicemails just one after another because the voicemail just box because of
0: the, the two minute limit where they're just like, I'm not even to the part where it gets weird yet. I'm gonna call you right back. And yeah, so just, there's a
1: three minute that's... limit on the on the voicemail box. And so people will like they'll call in and they'll get started and really get going. And then like the box cuts them off and they call back and they're like, Hi, I'm so sorry. It's just one more one more message, and then it's like <laughs> six more. Um, and I've started sometimes just for like the enjoyment of my friends playing. Them at the bar, like because I'm like, oh, like funny. And it's just like, it's taking over my whole life. I'm like, I'm so invested in these dramas of people. I have no idea who they are. I'm like texting them at 11 p.m. I'm like, hello. Then what happened? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: like, I think this was something that we talked about before you started recording it, too. That this was, it seemed to me very obviously a winning idea to like discuss the normal weird shit that happens to normal weird people over the course of their lives. And yet also like, Beyond the anonymization and all the sort of like the journalistic work that goes into it, like this is an emotional and like it's a real commitment. Like this is a lot of work. It's not like you can just sort of get on here with a couple of your buddies, say, from the website that you work with and ask (laughs) them how sad they are. Like this is...
1: (laughs) Okay, you're also doing a lot of work. Please do not be mean to my friend, David Ruff. Uh, uh,
0: All right. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. I appreciate that. But also you're doing way more work. Like how... Like, what is the the workload like on an average app of this?
1: Um, we are uh, the we here is me and the producer Alex Sudan Laughlin and our editor Justin Ellis. We go through the box for like for stories. We find the ones that we like and then we kind of have like a pitch meeting to decide which ones we're going to use. And then there's like a several step process in which I like script out the gossip and anonymize it and try to like fix the plotting. And then we do a run through and then we do it with a guest. And so it's like a whole from start to finish, I think it's like an eight week eight week timeline per episode. So
0: that is mm-hmm. I mean it shows up on the it's, the podcast is wonderful. obviously I'm not just saying this because thank you. <laughs> uh, you are my friend and all that. like we very much enjoy it in this home. but that is uh, yeah, that's a real journalistic project. I think it, it comes through, but that's like, yeah, maybe this is why um, more people, didn't come to that idea before you because it seemed hard.
1: I think it, I think there's a way to do it. That's really easy, right? Like there's a way to do it. That sounds, it will just sounds harder than it is. Right. We want it to sound like the way that all of our conversations would sound if we were like at a bar, just dishing. Right. And like, you can't actually just record those and publish them because one, when we all talk about our coworkers, we know exactly who we're talking about. Right. Like we don't have it. We don't need to provide context or backstory for those things, whereas we have to do that on the podcast. Um, And two, it's just kind of hard to recreate that. Right. So we've been working a lot with trying to like amp people up before we record. So like, how do we get you all worked up about something else before I start asking you questions, which is kind of a fun problem of like, how do I simulate two beers (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's a challenge as a as a host too, because okay. you need to like sort of do the the level setting energetically with that. Mm-hmm. And that's like not an easy sort of task. I mean, Drew comes by it naturally because Drew is just the way that he is. But for you, like having to sort of not just like egg someone on, but like instantly get them at that place of comfort and then get them and then lead them through that into progressively more mm-hmm. baroque little weird conversational gambits is like you can't really practice for that. I mean, I guess you do it when you're talking to your actual friends, but this is yeah. harder to do when...
1: I mean, it's somewhat, right? Like, it's somewhat journalistic work, right? If you just keep pressing and keep pressing and keep pressing. And some of it is just, I think, innate, right? Like, you can work anyone up on accident if, like, like if you and I are talking about baseball, right? And we're, like, like, minorly calm for the most part. And then I'm like, oh, my God, Roth, my friend who works in Major League Baseball is having the biggest drama. And I like set you up well enough, like some kind of weird switch will flip in your brain and you just become very enthusiastic. So some of Mm -hmm. it is just the content, I think, which is lucky.
0: (laughs) Which I mean, whatever, it's it's the advantage of having a good idea is that you then get to follow that good idea um, wherever it goes and wherever you're sort of...
1: Thank you. Yeah. People who
0: have weird gossip are going to really are willing to lead you.
1: Yeah. I keep trying to remind myself that, like, and I think this is something that we as a site kind of try to reinforce in each other, but more than we enforce it in ourselves. But the idea that, like, the goal in all of this is not to like become gajillionaires and work five million hours at a time. The goal is to like have fun and create things that we're proud of. And so, like, trying to maintain that focus is a a goal that we have for the rest of the year is like how do we make sure that it stays fun and isn't just like oh we're working five million hours to make this podcast
0: (laughs) yeah that good advice for um anybody i'm gonna take it myself i think we should all take a break and get some more water is that all right that sounds great all right good i'll see you guys on the other side of our little break we're back it's a distraction. I uh, this is going to be a harder one for us because the next person we're going to talk about is a longtime friend of the program, uh, somebody who's who's been a listener and has been a sort of a mentor to me. But um, Daniel Snyder is, Ooh, no. well, you know what? Well, he's always been very nice to me, Kelsey. He's no, <laughs> no. So obviously, Daniel Snyder should be in prison. Totally vile. Uh, Maybe sort of in trouble as we record this, but probably not. The House of Representatives has referred to the Federal Trade Commission uh, some charges that Snyder was hiding money from uh, the NFL revenue sharing program, which he called JUICE, which is charmingly classy, and and typically Daniel Snyder in that regard, and then also had been uh, keeping the money Uh, The supposedly refundable deposits that uh, season ticket holders had put down for personal seat licenses, which, again, uh, McKenna wrote this like it all paints a picture of a Dan Snyder that looks a whole lot like Dan Snyder uh, and solidifying (laughs) his standing as the most consistent man on the planet, which is 100 percent correct and 100 percent the way that McKenna would write about someone who really is like legit a nemesis of his. I have a hard time believing that Daniel Snyder could ever get in trouble for anything or be held accountable by any institution. Albert, do you have any sense that uh, Daniel Snyder could wind up being even inconvenienced by this latest round of stuff?
2: I mean, if anything was going to do it, um, you could not only can you imagine him skating past any like personal vileness or hostility toward the team's fans or whatever. Right. Like he's
0: already done that. Like you can't imagine him
2: not skating past that kind of stuff, but if anything was going to do it, it seems like fucking with the other owner's money is what would do it. Um, Like when he's at the point at which he's like stealing from the other NFL owners, I have to imagine at least some of them are asking the question, like, what do we need this guy for? Um, It's, you know, like the sort of PR disaster that he always is is maybe a little bit harder to take when he's also withholding money from the rest yeah. of you. Um, that said, you know, I I don't know. I uh, I have a longstanding practice of trying not to allow myself to be optimistic about that organization ever. Uh, yeah. so i'm I'm sure he'll get appointed to the Supreme Court next or something.
0: Right. I mean, not, <laughs> the part of it that's so hard is that, I mean, there'd be something perfectly. NFL, if the issue was, and McKenna pointed this out too, that it's like the amount of money that he hid through this was like kind of mystifyingly small. Yeah. It was like less than a million dollars, basically. And yet, that's like if that's what it takes for him to get read out by the owners and not like trafficking his cheerleaders and like selling their upskirt photos to his buddies online, like that's pretty fucking NFL, if nothing else. Yeah. But I feel like the I don't know like the I have a hard time at this point believing I like I'll believe that consequences are possible for uh, ultra rich scofflaw dipshits when that happens and I just I keep sort of waiting on that one. Yeah. yeah. Like am I am I being more cynical about this than I ought to be? No. <laughs> I mean, it does feel like. Yeah, I don't know, like how much more could he do to cry I don't out for think this? you're
1: being cynical about this. I mean, McKenna's piece says what, that like a highlighted example is that the team hid $88,000 in like shareable revenue. $88,000 to these like team owners is literally nothing. That's like their yeah. Chick-fil-A budget for the year. Like they do <sighs> not understand what that amount of money means. And so like, I just- When you divide that with how many owners there are it's like a thousand dollars each and like all of these guys i assume because they are this rich are doing some kind of fraudulent scam and if snyder gets in trouble for this then they'll get in trouble for something so it's i just kind of always believe that they will protect their own and that it's like even if we hate dan snyder it's better that he not be in trouble because then we could also be in trouble
0: Right. That's sort of the part of it that is, like, you don't want to get too in, in the, like, sort of Ray Rado brain panel of, like, maximum sort of dark and uh, sort of cynical thinking. But, like, if—the the thing that's remarkable about that is how little money he stole. And then also the idea that, like, that he's the only one keeping two books. Like, it might just be that he is the only one who has—and this is, like, a characteristic of, like, a certain type of, uh, like— rich goon that he's just so sloppy that he can't stay out of court and can't stay out of trouble. He's always fucking suing somebody yeah. or getting sued by somebody that like the rest of these guys are probably doing the same stuff. They just know somehow how to keep this out of the public eye. And that's never been Snyder's way. Yeah. I mean, with,
2: with like, uh, with Donald Sterling in the NBA, I mean, how many decades did it take of, of being not just a persistent embarrassment to the league, but also like, like, Persistently squandering what should have been one of its richest organizations. Yeah, um, before and it was an open they...
0: secret that he was the way that he was, too. Right,
2: right. And then finally, something gave them an excuse to get rid of him that they could be congratulated for, um, and that this isn't that for Snyder. Like nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna nominate Roger Goodell for a Nobel Prize for <laughs> you know helping to boot a guy out of the league for essentially keeping withholding pennies from the other owners yeah. yeah um you know but you but yeah I mean K- Kelsey to your point eighty eight thousand dollars is nothing to these guys except possibly when it's being taken from them like eighty eight thousand dollars is nothing when they're charging a grandmother that much for the uh, you know, season ticket package she's trying to cancel but it's yeah. a lot when somebody's taking it from them
1: yeah that's fair um
2: you know, I don't know, maybe that's just my opinion of rich guys. It seems like they couldn't become who they are if they were able to keep money in proportion. Um,
0: yeah, that's a good point.
2: Yeah. And that maybe is, that's I just think, optimistic, though. I, I just, I, I hope something happens to him. This it's is not, what's
0: weird about it, though, because I I agree with everything that you just said. And yet what we're relying on is, like, the worst people I guess in the country if you want to say it like that I'm sure that there's some competitors uh, but like That is also the last really durable type of solidarity that We have in American life is rich guys looking out for each other And so like if he violated the fucking bro code enough In that regard that he's gonna get in trouble for it then like That's a I mean it would be good because he got in trouble. It would be bad if the only mechanism through which he could be punished is that he like stepped on Jerry Jones's toes in a way that Jerry Jones found uh, unacceptable.
1: Right. Well, I also mean like, what's the consequence there, right? So I, I think you're right, Albert. I think that, owners would care that they're like he stole my 1100 dollars or whatever it is <laughs> <Right>. but like <laughs> if i'm jerry jones i'm just like sending dan snyder a fucking venmo request for 1100 it's like right. where's my money like i don't care if he declared it or not i don't care if it like went through the proper avenues i'm like pay me my money and then i won't be like annoying yeah to you. yeah Which is, I mean, that's the problem. I just believe that these guys will protect their status and their position at the cost of literally every ounce of morality they have. And if that means they have to protect Dan Snyder, they will.
0: It does sort of make you wonder, though, uh, like, is there an outer boundary? Like, if Mm Snyder has a reason to exist here on Earth, (laughs) it should be as like the example of the thing where you're like, all right, not that. Like, anything but not that. (laughs) And yet, like, somehow he keeps finding a way to, like, I mean, I guess it's whatever. It's also, it's Jerry Jones. You got to assume there's a certain level of moral malleability there. But the idea that, like, he just keeps doing all of these things and they keep finding some way to excuse it is... uh, Inspiring was the first word that popped into my head. That is obviously not the correct one, but... Whatever. We'll uh, be following this story very closely as Daniel Snyder and uh, any consequences at all for his behavior continue to drift slightly closer together.
2: Um, I mean, I guess story. I always assumed that a thing that insulated him in particular, like the sort of the bargain between him and the rest of the league is that he makes them money. Yeah, um, That's a that's a way for like a, a person like me to make sense of a absolute nightmare like him um and it's sort of a, it's amazing to find that maybe he doesn't even have to do that maybe he yeah. can actually steal from them and they'll still just sort of be like well yeah but he's rich like he's
0: already there he's got a parking spot he's got his name stenciled right. in it like what are you gonna just re-stencil that for some other right. guy like yeah inspiring stuff uh can we remember a guy together i feel like I oh, should, yeah this is the part of the show where i would where i'd ask um now, this is a guy that I think we're all going to enjoy remembering. I want to just, whichever one of you wants to talk first should do it. But if you both do it at the same time, right after I say Denard Span's name, I would understand <laughs> why you would be excited. <laughs> do either of you remember Denard Span? And yeah, if so, how? Span. Kelsey, was he a gnat when you were there?
1: I, the only thing I remember about Denard's span is him, like, is some, like, play he had with Seattle. Did he, he played for Seattle, right? Yeah, he
0: moved around a lot. He had a, a very good career without ever really becoming a star, but.
1: I love a good center fielder, though, that can cover a lot of ground.
0: Yeah, wonderful center fielder. My fondest memory of him, non-baseball division, is from one of my favorite videos on the internet. If I can find it, I'll put it in the blog post. Uh, with this embedded in it. If I can't, I'll just describe it quickly. MLB had, this was, you know, 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, probably, uh, just would send video people to spring training to find baseball players with unlikely hobbies to have them sort of talk about what those hobbies were. And, you know, they're baseball players, so there's only... It only ever gets so unlikely just because, like, that's that's how they are. But Michael Kadir, um, who was on the Twins for a long time and later with the Mets at the very end of his career, was a, a card magician. He loved to do close-up card magic. And they what? recorded a video of him absolutely fucking blowing Denard Span's oh, mind I remember with the card trick. <laughs> and it's just one of the most wholesome things that I've – because Kadir had – like dad energy at levels that no active athlete has had before or since. Like he just kind of always seemed like a like a pleasant fifty-one-year-old man who's like, "Well, have fun out there." Like even when he was like making all-star teams, he seemed like That's that. Beautiful does a pretty good trick. And span is like, it, the energy um, was very like again, what, like what Kelsey was talking about in terms of trying to get your podcast guests in Mm -hmm. the right frame of mind like he was like asking questions He was like no uh, let me look in the box like the empty (laughs) like card box that he's just taking the cards out of and uh yeah the videos it made me um well it made me feel exactly the way i felt about michael kadiar before which was like inexplicably positive even though he was a terrible met and then it made me love denard span forever and just want him to be happy i hope wherever he is now uh that he is that someone is like producing a coin from behind his ear and he's like no fucking way (laughs) I think that would be great. Uh, we I have do think
1: ta- they, I, I'm thinking about this tweet I saw yesterday, which was a video of Otani giving his um, bat CPR, CPR. Yeah. in the dugout um, because it was um, not breathing. And I think that That They should allow the baseball players to be sillier in the dugout. Like, I would fucking love to watch a baseball player freak out on a third cam because someone had, like, pulled a coin from behind his ear.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that that's, like, beyond the fact that they're, you know, obviously they're working and not every workplace, you know, can afford to be as, like, relentlessly stupid and dedicated to cracking each other up as ours. But I do think that, like, yeah, some – they should have more activities. They should be able to do stuff in there. Like, give them like, – like, put a Game Boy in the dugout or something. Put like, a cornhole
1: well, tournament.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I see them out there just having a blast with the lads and uh, enjoying being professional baseball players. I think that that's a, a good way to remind us that they're really people. Wow. Um, We have time for some fun bag stuff. I got a, I have a light one and a heavy one. Ooh. Uh, ooh. But I think, all right, any preferences there? Or I can try to, we can do both.
2: Let's let's start with the heavy one. Yeah, I Let's start with the heavy one.
0: All right. (laughs) So uh, Chris asks, I'm in construction sales and deal with a lot of boomers on a day-to-day basis. A good portion of them, I'm sad to say, are falling victim to old white guy mush brain. Without fail, every conversation comes back to some form of Trump worship or some veiled racism or the thought that younger generations just don't work hard enough. So when someone is telling me, well, actually, I know business, and the thing that people don't know is that Trump was a very good business guy and great for this country, do I have to just smile uncomfortably and nod, or is there a professional way that I can tell them that their ideas are terrible and they're responsible for the demise of the country? Hope you can come up with something for me. I'm not sure how many more of these conversations I can handle. Well, Albert, what do you think? Uh... Hmm. How should one talk to someone who is giving you the absolute boomer business yeah, on I kids don't, it, these days or whatever?
2: I'm afraid of those guys is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well,
0: it's hard. They do it because they're in the position of being bosses, right? They wouldn't be doing it otherwise.
2: Uh could you, I don't know, like ask them how many Trump steaks they ever cooked.
0: <laughs> in terms of like what did he ever do for you?
2: Yeah, like I find
0: that energetically I've worked enough bad jobs where part of the gig is just someone coming up to you and saying a bunch of shit that yeah. you don't want to hear. And you just kind of have to take it. Like yeah. they're not saying it. So you say anything back. They're saying it. So you don't because you can't, mm-hmm. it feels like.
2: Yeah, that's the, I think in more and more jobs, that's sort of implicitly part of the bargain is that yeah. like you must eat shit for your money um yeah and and there's whole millions of americans who will see to it when they are patronizing whatever your business is
0: yeah, yeah. kelsey is this an experience that you have had in your professional journeys
1: um as a texan it is a experience <laughs> i have had quite it is
0: my birthright
1: often it is um my birthright yeah i've also reported a lot of stories where you end up in situations like this right like i reported on a small town bull riding many years ago with like, yeah, that's a situation where a lot of like 70 year old men are going to be like, hello, you're here. Clearly not from rural North Carolina. You have a hand tattoo. What do you think about our Lord and savior, Donald Trump? Um, yeah. And I think my first response to this is like kind of the same as Albert's, which is like, do you feel safe? Right. If you do not feel safe, you are always allowed <laughs> to let those questions just breeze by you like a summer wind like that is fine um if you do feel safe um and you're feeling feisty i think there are uh, two ways to be a menace um that are easiest the first is um to play their whole game their favorite line and be like oh my god you know i just don't really think that politics has any place in a business setting <laughs> sorry I'm here for the
0: bull riding like this is really uh, a yeah i'm
1: just you know i'm just really trying to do my job and i don't like it when politics interferes um in my ability to do that and i know that you would agree with that right as a republican um so that's a good a good first option uh, because i am like true menace to society um my answer is always let someone dig their own hole which is just like keep just let them keep talking you're just like oh and then they just keep talking if they just go long enough, eventually they get to something where you can go, hmm, that seems like a little sexist or a little racist. And then they're like, oh, what? And you're like, I don't know. You've just been talking for 15 minutes and somehow you've arrived at something that I think you shouldn't have said.
0: Yeah. I mean, there really isn't like a, a right, right answer in terms of this, because one way or another, you're going to have to like they're just going to keep handing you big sloshing pint glasses yes. full of garbage and you're going to have to be like, thank you so much. Terrific. <laughs> I was, this is actually I – I just finished the previous one. so, And that's – it's tough that way. Like I know that like the times that I've encountered this in different workplaces and not – you know, obviously it hasn't been as much the case now that we're uh, working in the rootless cosmopolite uh, content minds of, um, you know, online media But all the, like, shit jobs and the temp jobs and the the stuff that I did, you know, my first decade out of school, it's, like, that experience of it, like, feeling safe is one of those deals where it's not just, like, a question of, like, somebody who would, like, do you violence or whatever. It's just sort of a way of, like, getting a sense of, like, where you are in a sort of the professional firmament and what you can and can't put up with. And that's tough, I mean, because you leave it feeling dirty, even if it's the sort of thing, if it's relatively mild. The times that I had it working at this weird real estate agency that I worked at the summer that we got married, there was just like, there's a lot of fuck. I mean, real estate agencies are like this. There's a lot of fucking psychopaths in that business. And in this case, it was
2: like,
0: you know, there's just like some guy that I didn't know who was introduced to me as very important would come down and start talking to me about like PCITIS or like, and I was like, you don't know what my opinion is on anything. Like, why are you subjecting me to this? Like, you'll never meet me again. Like, this is just you like killing time before a meeting is you telling me about like <laughs> some shit you read in the New York Post or whatever. And it's tough to know it's, like sort of like what to do with that. Like, I, I don't understand really the impulse to like be the guy that's giving somebody that download that they didn't request either. But, I mean, that's the advantage of being that guy is you never have to explain why you're doing it. It's just tough. I mean, I, I didn't want to give anybody advice on how to work better in a construction setting with a bunch of assholes. But I think yeah. at some point, yeah, I mean, it's just its just business, you know.
1: I just think you're completely allowed to say, like, I'm so sorry I don't talk about that with coworkers to yeah. anyone and then if they're like well why it's just politics you could just ask them a question about their sex lives and be like oh i'm sorry i thought we were asking inappropriately personal questions
0: yeah well that's good see <laughs> i can't give that advice but kelsey uh, can because she's her brain is more powerful than mine uh all right are you ready for the question that's not about talking to people that make you sad please yes. <laughs> so this question drew would actually flag this as um <laughs> so david uh, who asked this question uh drew wishes you ill I do too. Oh. Now that I've read the question, why do we pretend Girl Scout cookies are amazing? David says they are fine, extremely average cookies, except for Thin Mints, which are bad. This is not a dig at the Girl Scouts; it's an organization that uh, they can it grift all like they want, especially toward a good Girl cause. Scouts yeah.
1: Organization.
0: Then he says the grocery store has shelves of better elite cookies, and I got to tell you, disagree with that statement. What? So yeah. why do we pretend Girl Scout cookies are bad? are are, uh, not are uh, good i mean um what are Mm -hmm. we what's going on here what is this question how angry are uh, just give me a one to ten kelsey where where are you on this one
1: um i would say i'm at about about a six um Mm -hmm. in that i think it's fine to dislike things yes i think that's allowed um to me, part of the joy of the Girl Scout cookie in general is buying them from the girls. Like I think that that is nice, and I like to support them in their endeavors um, to learn about the outdoors. And also, I don't, I don't know what else the Girl Scouts learn. Knots, tie
0: knots.
1: Yes, how to tie knots. Um, I want them to learn that. But <laughs> I also just think, like, why are you so mad? Like why why can't <laughs> other people like girl scout cookies? Why is it so upsetting to you that adorable little 8-year-olds are just trying to sell their little cookies on the street? Let them. I can I
0: also add to this. The cookies are good.
1: Yeah, I like the cookies. I mean, They're the fine. thing about thin mints is like thin mints will last a million years in the freezer. And guess yep. what? I don't want to go to the grocery store all the time. Yep. Sometimes I yeah. want to find the special treat for myself that I left in the freezer.
0: <laughs> I, so I just bought some yesterday, and the experience of buying Girl Scout cookies uh, remains, I think, one of the, the only real, like, sort of obviously in-capitalism transactions that you can do where you leave it feeling, like, pretty good about yourself and then also happy, uh, you know, to have done it. Like, I just – I have no notes on this. There were girls standing at the corner of my block their sales pitch was just screaming girl scout cookies like just those words and not like in sync either like it sounded like 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 a cat walking on a keyboard like it was just different you know blurts here and there but like (laughs) it worked people were swarming for the shit I, i feel like that's i don't know when you've got a product that works that well like obviously some of it helps that it's like kids that are excited to sell it but like I don't think that any I don't think that we uh, worked ourselves culturally into any sort of delusion here like the, the cookies are obviously working
1: I mean the proof right is didn't the Boy Scouts sell popcorn for years and like those the popcorn fucking sucked so no one
0: yeah. bought
1: it even <laughs> though it was like cute kids selling it everyone was like no thanks yeah the I Boy mean anyone who, also... did a,
2: who did a like elementary school fundraiser back in the day can testify to the fact that people do not automatically buy shit just because cute kids are selling it. <laughs> Right, yeah. I never. They saw know anything. that the marching band <laughs> chocolate bars are whack as <laughs> hell. They want nothing to do with that.
0: But do
1: you like the Girl Scout cookies? What's I do. your take here?
2: I do. I like the Girl Scout cookies, but more than that, I'm curious about uh, the, the perspective that goes, lots of people like this thing that I'm not super into, and therefore it's like a culture-wide conspiracy to pretend something <laughs> is good that's not Uh <laughs> how many things are you pretending to like on a day-to-day basis that that oh, your man. mind runs to that when other people like things you don't that's there is cool definitely question. a part
0: of me that i can there are things that happen i'm thinking of bruno mars here where i'm like oh you guys really like this shit like all right that's cool like and i don't he's do like, talented. Fe- bruno mars i don't hate i don't <laughs> hate bruno mars i'm just saying that like the extent to which bruno mars has been embraced to me is, i'm like i I guess I'm just, like, surprised at how high everybody is on the Bruno Mars experience,
1: I... culturally, <laughs>
0: broadly speaking.
2: <laughs> the I... I... thing would have to be a pretty durable conspiracy, though. Like, are people raising their children in it? Like, Yeah. We, like, when, when you have a job and you have cash, you have to set aside a certain amount of it to uphold the illusion that Girl Scout cookies are good. And you must t- teach your children to do this, too. Like, it's been going on for decades.
0: It's tithing, right. basically. It's
1: tithing to our Lord and Savior, the Girl Scout. Scouts.
0: Th- the thin mint.
1: I just, I think you're right, Bert. It's like, the weirdest thing to me about that is like, have you never disliked something that everyone else liked? Like, right. why do you think that this is a conspiracy? And right. which cookies at the grocery store do you think are substantially better than the Girl Scout cookies. That's
0: what I was also curious about because the Girl Scout cookies, as a type of cookie, which is like you know sort of mass produced, boxed. Like, what are, like so? There's Keebler products that you think are better than that because every mm. time I eat a Keebler product, it makes me it like takes me back to like getting a headache on the way to a cross country race in high school. Like there's no, <laughs> no fond associations.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, at like, all. Like, is this particularly uh, an injustice against like Chips Ahoy? That people don't like yeah. them more than they like Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> right. It's
1: I, feel I like, like I understand the argument of like why do you want a Girl Scout cookie when you could have like a freshly baked cookie from a local baker? Sure, like fine, sure, sure whatever, like i great. But Oreos are not substantially better than thin mints. Like they're good. All of them are good. They're all cookies. Like I don't understand what the problem is here. Right. Like, why can't you have both? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think this is we've. This is the answer, I guess, that we finally arrived at. Uh, you, you can have both. You
2: yeah, it's can. fine. It's fine, you can have both. You can even have like in the same glass of milk. Like it's fine. It's fine. No <laughs> one will stop you. <laughs>
0: This is uh, So I'm happy to end on this note of uh, permissiveness. Brandon Nix and Chantel Holder are our producers. Uh, Thank you forever to Daisy Rosario. Our theme song is by the legendary Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to us, it's usually me and Drew. In this case, it's me and Kelsey and Albert. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now if you go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. You can subscribe to Defector.com and read our writing whenever we do it. Uh, we, You know, some of the time. And, uh, yeah, thank you for your support. Thank you, Kelsey and Albert, for joining. And, uh, yeah, bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.